Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, those of you who may not know me, my name is Masood Raja. And uh, today's topic, which we had chosen a few weeks ago, is me briefly talking about critical pedagogy and its significance for what we do in the humanities education, but also in all the other fields of education. Uh, if you have uh, attended any of my webinars before, you already know that this is being streamed to my website and I will share the screen with you right now. You can see it right here. So if you go to my website and uh, click on digital library, you will go to our live streaming page. And that's where you can find, um, you know, this webinar, all the live webinars are streamed on this page. But also, please keep in mind this chat box at the bottom, because if you put a message here, you can immediately send me a message which I'll respond to, especially if you have any questions. So thank you so much for joining me. And now to our topic of the day, which is critical pedagogy. So the concept itself and the praxis of critical pedagogy can very easily be attributed to uh, Paulo Freire, right? And his work, especially pedagogy of the oppressed. Now he does not use the term critical pedagogy in his book, but what's built upon that experience of his and his writing it eventually comes to be termed the field of critical pedagogy, of which one of the leading contemporary theorists, of course, is Henry Giroux. So the questions that Freire sets himself up and attempts to answer in Pedagogy of the Oppressed is, is the question of what is it that we mean by education or what do we want it to accomplish because if we set that question right in the very beginning then our practice and the way we deliver education or acquire education would be deeply impacted by that and his basic premise is that we live in oppressive systems in unjust systems most of the times we are not even aware of it and these oppressive systems have a de dehumanizing effect on humans. So the purpose of education, especially radical education, is to claim our humanity. That's the first step, you know, to know of the oppression itself, to get rid of it and claim our humanity. So the workers and the peasants fight for that, must transform the society so that they can claim their humanity. But in the process, what he also emphasizes, in very, which is very important to note, is that what he also says is that the workers themselves, the peasants themselves, the oppressed themselves must not become oppressors, right? And that it is up to them also to liberate their oppressors because the oppressors are also caught within the destructive logic of their own power. And the term that he coins for this kind of education is... is Consentiesa Paso, okay? Consentiesa Paso, or in English, consentiesization, right? Which literally or, you know, broadly speaking, means a kind of education or interaction in which the students don't just learn the contact, but they also learn to perceive the social, political, and economic contradictions within the society that we live. And thus, by becoming aware of those, they also become aware of how deeply they are they integrated into that system, how deeply have they internalized those contradictions or their own role in the society. And then a liberatory pedagogy is required to free the individuals, but through solidarity with others. It's never really an individual pursuit in Freire. So critical pedagogy thus becomes a kind of pedagogy in which cannot really be top-down. And that top-down education model that most of us follow, uh, Freire calls it the banking system of education. I mean, he has certain specific 
things that he says about it and i'm going to just briefly read some of them so in the banking system of education the basic premise behind that is that the students are kind of empty vessels and the teacher this font of knowledge and authority and he constantly fills the students the empty vessels with his or her knowledge and then the student's job is to reproduce that knowledge right to do well in classes but to prove that they have learned and in this system freire says the teacher teaches and the students are taught right the teacher knows everything and the students know nothing this is what is assumed in the banking system of education the teacher thinks and the two students are thought about right the teacher talks and the students listen meekly the teacher disciplines and the students are disciplined the teacher chooses and enforces his choice and the students comply the teacher acts and the students have the illusion of acting through the actions of the teacher the teacher chooses the program content and the students who were never consulted adapt to it the teacher confuses the authority of knowledge with his or her own professional authority which she and he sets in opposition to the freedom of students the teacher is the subject of the learning process while the pupils are the object so in all these uh, various things that he says about the banking system of education one thing is pretty clear that the relationship between the teacher and the student is deeply lopsided and it's hierarchical and in that the assumption is that the teacher is the acting part of an act of teaching and the student is a passive recipient the student has no agency no say in how he or she will be taught or what he or she is likely to learn now remember freire asserts in the very beginning that the purpose of education is is that freedom that liberation from the oppressive system in which those who are oppressed can free themselves but can also free their own oppressors right and we'll get to that in a minute how do they do that but the general purpose of the educational system or the or freire's project then is to create a world in which we all can claim our freedom right and in which we can live happily and in which what he says and i quote love is possible right a system based in love and not based in instrumentality or or or, or top down power structures now in order to do that and he also then tells us you know what kind of consciousnesses govern our actions right so Uh, there is what he calls a sectarian consciousness or sectarian constituency that tries to control how knowledge is produced and consumed and then there is on the left a constituency that believes that history itself unfolds without human agency without acts of revolution or anything else and the future thus is already in a passive kind of dialectical materialism is already so is overdetermined so the sectarianism of the right basically connects the issues of the present to an idealized past and for them maintaining the status quo is deeply connected to maintaining the tradition and hence there is no possibility of change in it because the change can only be measured against the past and so all they need to do is to maintain the status quo so that the system is not too deeply altered the fatalism of the left which sees the future as preordained also takes away any acts of human courage to transform the reality itself but unless as freire says unless we become active participants in transforming the reality in which we live we cannot claim our full humanity now take a look at the 10 things that i read out to you in which you know we already know that the students are 
thought to be passive recipients of knowledge now this is not freire himself says in the beginning of the book that this is not just based in theory this is not just philosophy or ideology this is something that he observed and practiced and then wrote the book pedagogy of the oppressed was not a self contained book it was supposed to be and is an introduction to the praxis of pedagogy that freire continues to write about throughout his life so think of those things so many of those things if i mean i teach in american classrooms but most of us i'm hoping who join me from pakistan or elsewhere teach in your own classrooms these are some of the things that we take for granted we went through systems of education like that where we we look towards our teachers as the ultimate fonts of wisdom and we never could dare to ask them hard questions especially questions about their assumptions about things we were never encouraged to ask hard questions actually most of the times our socialization even in united states we tell our children you know not to rock the boat and just follow the rules because we want them to succeed in the world but then we forget to tell them that the world itself is unjust and oppressive and that the only way to challenge it if we can think critically about the system itself and then make a conscious effort in solidarity with others to transform it to change reality because unless we change reality there is no space in it for the kind of humanity that freire hopes all of us can claim and being human being fully human is also being free and especially free from oppression now people have built a huge field around these concepts but the basic tenets remain the same right uh, in our practice as teachers if we can find ways to encourage our students to become participants in their own education if we can become co-learners in which the teacher also learns from the students and the student learns from the teacher but we also learn collectively uh, freire lays down a whole program in the book which i recommend you should read but right now what i'm mostly concerned is since most of us teach is 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 to learn this habit of questioning our own teaching practices if we believe that we have all the answers and the students are supposed to jot down whatever we say in our classes then and now i'm going to another great scholar of radical pedagogy right and uh, his name is mark brocker he's a friend and former colleague and he uh, comes to the topic of radical and critical pedagogy through psychoanalysis but also through empirical studies of consciousness itself right and what he suggests is that there are different modes of pedagogy that we all use the first of all which pretty much all of us do is what is called the discourse of the master okay and this is a behavior a pedagogical behavior or practice in which the teacher offers his or herself as a model right and the student's success depends upon how best they can emulate that model and the teacher in this situation is the font of knowledge right and the success of the students doesn't depend on critically engaging with what the teacher the master has offered but in just mastering what the master has presented to them obviously that's not a good recipe for creating people who are capable of critical thought we will at best create people who can replicate and reproduce what we have already told them right? the second uh, kind of teaching is what he talks about and calls it the discourse of the discipline or discourse of the university and that presupposes that whatever your major is whatever you're studying there is a canon that you must master in order to qualify to be called as an expert in that field and the students are then encouraged to learn whatever they want to learn about the discipline itself axiomatically take its claims as truth and never really question the discipline itself the university also you know gives us encouragement to do skill based utilitarian education 
And the third one, which is also a destructive mode and which most of us on the left do is what he calls the discourse of the hysteric. Okay. And that is in which me, you or anyone else constantly keep pushing our own political points of view, infuse them in our teaching without caring about any differences of opinion. And now keep in mind that the purpose here is to teach us, the teachers, is, is as to what are the prime needs of a student in a classroom. So for Mark Bracker, the student's ultimate need in a classroom or we as humans in the world are identity needs. Okay, We all have socially constructed identities, which sometimes we believe to be natural. But we walk around in the world terribly afraid that our identity is going to be challenged in one way or the other. And we constantly seek recognition from the others to stabilize our identities. So if we know that, then we already know that when students come into our classes, so let's say if there is a student who has this perception of his or herself as not being very confident, not being very learned, And if I just keep performing the discourse of the master, chances are it's not going to inspire that student to you know, do well or learn better. It will just tell that student, make that student more insecure about their own identity. Similarly, you know, if there is a conservative student in my class and I keep using mostly liberal vocabularies or deriding conservative ideologies, That student is never going to hear me out. That student is not going to have a transformative experience because his or her time in class would be spent in blocking you off, blocking me off so that they can protect their identity. So a good pedagogy then would be that takes into account what the students go through when they sit in our classes and by making them participants. And literary texts in so many ways can enable us to do that. So, for example, if we want to teach empathy to our students or if we want them to become more empathetic, one is that we give them a lecture on empathy and tell them how great it is. One is we could tell them, oh, you ought to respect people from other races, other ethnicities, other religions. But if they, if their identity is not connected to that kind of of practice, they would close us off. The other is to find passages in the texts that we use where we can find something that we all can share in common, an experience, an emotion, a situation, which is, I hate to use the word, which is which can be universalized. So that our students get to see that despite their political differences, ethnic differences, religious differences, there is something, some commonality which they can share with people whom they otherwise might consider foreign or hostile. And then around that, we can build a deeper understanding of each other, right? And that will be the kind of pedagogy that invites students' comments, invites their emotions, and doesn't really chastise them when they don't give us the right answer. So overall, In my experience, and I've done this, whenever I have tried to adopt a top-down approach in which I have assumed that the students don't know anything and that I need to give them some knowledge that I might possess and they are just the passive recipients, I have never really had a great success. Because, yeah, the students do reproduce what we teach them, what I teach them, they probably do well on tests. But they don't leave my class with a mission to transform the world, to claim their humanity. They are just interested in that A or B that they will make in my class. But anytime when I have involved them in their own learning process, when I've encouraged them to speak their minds freely, even about my own assumptions, when I have encouraged them to think beyond the text itself and think in humanistic terms as to you know, any situation in a novel, in a short story, 
I've noticed that they open up and that they show interest in learning. Also, whenever I make them responsible uh, for something, for a classroom community project in which they have to do a presentation, now if there are not too many constraints on them and if you allow them to use their creativity, you will see that they come up with things that even you could have not thought of. And so that means that when students are engaged and involved in the process of teaching, when they are participants, what it does is it enables them to tap into their creativity instead of their intent to just reproduce and appease the teacher. And that is what is absolutely necessary in uh, critical pedagogy. Now, another important thing in teaching using critical pedagogy is also to encourage our teachers since the purpose is to create a world in which we are all free and where we can practice our humanity freely. Then we can encourage our students to think the world itself. You know, is it a just world? If it is not just, what is wrong with it? Then the question is, if, if there is something wrong with it, who is perpetuating it? And that's going back to Freire. You know, how does a system of oppression work? Freire famously writes about the middle management people, the overseers who are appointed by the oppressing class. And he basically tells us that it's no wonder that most of the times people from the oppressed communities, when they are placed in managerial positions over their own comrades, they become more brutal than the masters, right? Now, some people would have us believe that maybe those peasants and others were naturally more brutal than the masters and it shows up when they get power, but no. There are material and practical reasons for it. Someone in the middle overseer position under a master overseeing their own people has to prove to the master that he or she is worthy of the job. So hence their actions, their justification for being worthy or efficient depend on how they treat those under them. So this oppressive system is what creates that oppressive behavior. So in critical pedagogy then, the purpose is to learn, okay, but also to learn the system itself. How does it work? How have I internalized the logic of an oppressive system? Because that's another thing that happens, okay? And that is that when the oppressed want to rise against their oppressors or want to transform the world, the model that they have, according to Freire, is that of the oppressor. It's a binaristic model. I am oppressed when I, when I overthrow my masters, I become like them. The purpose of critical pedagogy is to encourage us to think something more than that. How do we first free ourselves? But in the process of doing that, how do then we create a world in which we ourselves do not become oppressors? And that is one of the most important questions for any revolutionary movement, right? Uh, Marx tries to answer that. Lukács tries to answer that. Every Marxist tries to answer that. Even Deleuze and Guattari try to answer that. But in terms of critical pedagogy, that can only be achieved if we in our classes with equal interaction between the students and the teachers are producing the kind of students who are first of all aware of the system of oppression and two are also deeply cognizant of the fact that if they have to change the world they have to change it into the world of love right and not of instrumental destruction instrumental logic and that they can do that in solidarity with each other, right? These fights are never fought alone. And that when they have the power, they have to remember that they also have to liberate their oppressors. They also have to show them compassion. T 
teach them how to live differently and that is what freire calls radical right now there are a few other things also that he tries to forestall or tries to teach us not to worry about so one of the things that we all worry about and that's drilled into our heads as students and everyone else is is to not be troublemakers right uh, don't rock the boat we teach our children don't ask too many questions because all of that is the fear that we have internalized right we have internalized the oppression so much that most of the times we are encouraged or we encourage our students to not express themselves freely because we think the revolutionary movement a movement to transform the world is going to be too destructive it's going to be too disruptive but by not doing anything all we are accomplishing then is just claiming a space within the oppressive system that already exists and hence that is the default mode of power anyway so by being silent by not adding our voices of dissent to what's going on in the world we end up enabling the very system which we resent so the purpose of a revolutionary education or critical pedagogy then is not just to show the contradictions of the world in which we live or show how oppression works but also to encourage our students and ourselves to work in solidarity to change that and then our in our individual actions how do we do that in our classes what kind of practices can we adopt um, in my classes sometimes you know i ask the students if i have created an assignment and it's too prescriptive or it's too restrictive i ask them okay how would you like to modify that the purpose is to learn now how can we change this assignment so that you enjoy doing it while also learning the same materials and thinking critically about them and you will be surprised to know uh, how creative the students can be once you know we break that hierarchical structure of very stringent course requirements and how to do things uh we can also incorporate in our classes some mode other than you know end of the course evaluations which you know which have no impact on the lives of those students to do in class anonymous surveys give our students a chance to say hey if you taught it like this it would be better uh we can also create an atmosphere in which we reassure our students inside the classroom that there are no stupid questions that they will never be you know uh castigated for asking a wrong question of course we have to teach them to be polite and nice to other students but to encourage them to ask questions will give them this habit of thinking critically and then posing questions to authority figures to powerful figures and i've seen that in my own classes every time i practice this it has enabled me to have a better experience for myself as a teacher but enabled me to have good interactions with my students so this is what freire would call the pedagogy of liberation and there are so many others strains of critical pedagogy my own mentor robin goodman uh, wrote a book a few years ago called world class women and in that she theorizes uh, uh, you know critical feminism which builds on critical pedagogy but she builds it on critical feminist pedagogy how to teach feminism in a way that it doesn't come across as top down in which the female students and the male students are participants what kind of educational system would create more productive and less destructive citizens right and she gives an example of a school system in botswana where bessie had one of the great uh, south african authors also taught and this school system had uh, mostly orphans right and 
the model of education was that these students besides getting their academic education were also learning the skills of collective action right collective production of commodities that they need every single day so let's say the the boys were in one barrack and the girls were in one barrack and the boys and the girls too took care of the kitchen gardens they produced their own vegetables so the part of their education was not just bookish learning but also to learn as community of learners to build things to create living uh, materials to create food right and she offers that as one model of education now in united states and canada i mean henry jiro is based in canada most most of the times the emphasis of critical pedagogy is at the k12 system it's at the early educational system and the idea is is to get involved in the education of children at that stage so that by the time they get to college by the time they become adults they have already developed really sophisticated reasoning techniques sophisticated critical modes of thinking because the assumption is that in a living democracy a critical citizenry a, a citizenry that can think critically of whatever is proffered to them by the politicians or by the media that they should be able to analyze it critically and understand the underlying features what is causing a politician to make a certain statement uh, because if they cannot read those critically they cannot develop a resistance to it or they cannot understand their own conditions and and that's why the the concept of uh, you know conscientious of sao becomes crucial because that is the kind of education which doesn't just teach the content it also teaches the students while reading the content of the class to also question you know the cultural the social the economic implications of whatever is being offered to them and and to look at the reasons behind any statements made by anyone in power or otherwise and if they have that habit of thinking then it would be very hard for an oppressive system to sustain itself because an oppressive system is a material unfolding of certain ideological positions and if those upon whom you want to unleash an oppressive system already have a habit of thinking critically about their own location in the world right then it's very hard to dupe them or convince them that whatever may not be in their best interest when it's offered as being in their best interest so that's the assumption behind it um another uh, great scholar of education besides so many other things of course Gayatri Spivak in one of her books other asias also talks about education and she also talks about early education i mean she actually goes to india every summer and teaches and and trains teacher at 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 rural schools right and her idea is that the role of humanities especially what we all do is to train the imaginations of our students and i'm quoting her here and but what way in what way is that to train the imagination of our students at both ends of the global divide right here in america where our students comparatively speaking with their global counterparts have a more privileged location here we need to teach them you know about their global others how to think empathetically about them how to understand them better and over there in the far flung corners of the global periphery where capital has reached right uh, without disrupting the social orders that already exist Uh, maybe we need to teach our students you know how to think democratically how to think critically of their own leaders of their own cultures so that they can also understand this is how a democracy ought to work you know this is how human beings ought to be treated and in all the cases then 
the kind of pedagogy that is absolutely necessary for that is a pedagogy that is informed that is compassionate and that teaches more than just the text so these are like some of my thoughts uh i have some questions here uh so there is a comment by amjad hussain um i guess he's saying that you are describing myself to me i agree i mean this is the kind of system i went through too um where you know we were taught at a very young age that the teacher has the last word especially in pakistani culture also north india and indian culture teachers have a lot of symbolic power had a lot of symbolic power but think of it how destructive it can be if if you have teachers who are teaching you the wrong lessons right how do you know that they are the wrong lessons so a part of our training of course in critical pedagogy is not just to impart knowledge to our students but also how to train ourselves to be better teachers right and how to train ourselves you know if we want our students to be critical to know and question things we can teach them all the theory but if we don't allow that in our classes they are never going to learn the lesson so part of it is we practicing what we preach and then also you know as parents you know we ask we train our children from a very young age to yeah to respect their elders and all which is a good thing but to also question our authority that we we should have to convince them why we want them to do a certain thing we we should be able to have open conversations with them and then you know the ultimate aim as freire talks about of education then is that it must provide critical means for the peasants for the workers and everyone else even the bourgeois middle class to first think of the oppressive system itself to acknowledge that the system that they live in is oppressive and then to pinpoint you know what is the source of this oppression is it diffuse in foucauldian terms is it a discourse of you know oppression or is it top down are a few people responsible for it well, what we would learn is that we ourselves are also responsible for it even as the objects of oppression because we accept it sometimes we accept it as a social norm sometimes we accept it in fatalistic terms as something that has been ordained by god or by powers that be i mean so many there are so many rationalizations uh, you can find in any religion right so if you're a catholic or a deeply religious christian you can justify all human oppressions by saying you know it's god's will god is testing you your job right and then we can inculcate that that the more troubles you get in your life the more god loves you and that all of this would be settled in and hereafter if you are a practicing hindu it's even easier because you know even gandhi wrote a beautiful book you know beautiful book uh, justifying to a street sweeper or a bhangi who was low caste that you know it's not good for him or her to try to change their position they just need to perform their caste duties and in their next life they will probably be from the an ek jati caste and and in islam you know you find a lot of examples blind obedience to men is encouraged for for women blind obedience to parents is encouraged i'm not saying that you know mild versions of these are not good for a social order but you know the quran also says afala yatafakkarun and why don't you think it doesn't say that you can't think if you're a child you can't think it just says afala yatafakkarun so so there are various rationalizations which we deeply internalize so part of the oppression then exists within our souls right how do you dislodge it you can't just dislodge it through isolated individual reflection right you'll have to be a buddha to do that most of the times you have to work in solidarity with others solidarity with those who might teach us something right teach us something about our own conditions that we may not be aware of but also more importantly teach us to think critically of our own conditions and i think educational system can do that it 
can enable people to teach in a certain way where they produce um, the kind of human subjects in their classrooms who are in pursuit of this humanity, this fully realized humanity, instead of just reproducing knowledge that the teacher wants to give them. So these are like some of my thoughts. Uh, I would love to see any of your questions on this issue. I know I have not exhausted the topic, but to just recapture what I said. So the concept itself, even though Paulo Freire doesn't name it in his book, comes from Paulo Freire. It's uh, built on by people like Henry Giroux and others. But the basic assumptions are the same. Basic assumptions are how to create a classroom environment which is not top-down, in which the student is not treated as an empty vessel to be filled by teacher's knowledge, which Freire calls the banking system of education, and how to make education itself uh, a methodology, a mode through which we can enable creations of human subjects who are capable of critical thought, who are capable of looking at the world around them and finding it to be unjust and then capable of pinpointing how is that injustice produced and reproduced and then capable of working with others in solidarity to transform the world because their personal condition cannot change. And Fanon had learned that long time ago, you know, in Algeria when he was dealing with Arab patients and he realized that he could not cure their mental illnesses. And part of the reason he could not cure their mental illnesses was because even after they were doing better in the hospital, when he released them or sent them out into the society, the society itself was still unjust and oppressive. And since the traumas that caused mental illness in these patients were being caused by the society, the patients could not be cured because their cure depended on changing the society itself, changing the social norm itself. So we as teachers also know that part of us, okay, we must teach our students about the world, how is it works, about economy, how it works, what is their place in it, and is it like divinely ordained place, or is it because somehow they were unlucky to be born in a group or in a family that is part of the oppressed group, right? That it is, that it is not concrete, it's not their fate to be poor, it's not their destiny to be powerless, right? So first we teach that, right? That the reason they are powerless, the reason they are poor is because the system, economic system, the political system that we exist in produces that poverty, right? Produces that powerlessness, right? Thrives in it. And then, secondly, do we teach them fatalism? Do we teach them just live your lives in it, you know, do whatever is required of you and maybe you'll have a good enough life after about 50 years or do we tell them no let's come together let's transform it let's transform the reality the world in which we live so that we all and those who come after us can claim their freedom so Freire talks about this fear of freedom Okay, so if people have been in an oppressed situation for long, it's not that they can't claim their freedom. They, they are afraid of claiming that because the idea is if, if you have internalized that kind of micro-fascism, the fear is, okay, what if, if we overthrow these people? Who's going to run the country? Who's going to... Um, regulate our lives so we, we buy into the social order and its absolute necessity to exist in it that we are okay with a social order that is unjust right and so first lesson that we must teach and learn also 
is that it is okay to challenge the system itself right because the beginning is there unless there is no challenge the system will constantly keep reproducing itself it will constantly totalizing itself now there is a, going to be a reactionary response from those who hold power because their you know intent is to keep the status quo right they are also afraid of freedom for different reasons they are afraid of freedom because if if freedom rules they lose their privileged position so they will unleash all the reactionary forces of religion culture sexism racism right against any attempt attempts at changing the system so it's going to be a fight it's going to be an epistemic fight the fight of knowledge you me and all others producing that knowledge and in the world of social media how hard is that to fight for a cause and then eventually maybe it's going to be a confrontation maybe not but maybe you will alter enough minds maybe the change will be democratic but its accomplishments would be revolutionary right and that is what freire is talking about is is that in order to gain freedom in order to be free and there is an a romantic view of humanity in freire as well as in marx is that in order to be fully human right we must change the unjust system form of way in which i see it is that it also makes me self reflexive right it makes me think about my own actions right if i am aware of a thing called oppression and how it functions right then as a thinking person a person who's been trained in critical thinking i will constantly evaluate my own actions in the world as well right if i'm dealing with a student or with someone who has less power than i do you know back in the back of my mind would be how am i behaving in this situation am i you know taking a stance which is oppressive which is aligned with the powers against whom i keep railing about right and if it is that then maybe i can alter that right maybe by pointing it out to others or by asking others about what do you think of this action of mine right having friends who would point it out to you and saying no masood raja right now what you just said is deeply oppressive it it doesn't go well with what you keep talking about and then you sh- reshape your views right your actions also keep in mind that most of the oppressive structures are kept in space by really very well meaning people when 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 i say oppressors it's not like people standing with machetes and machine guns it's mostly like very banal you know it's bureaucrats here and there the headmaster the principal the teacher think of it you know wherever you work how many times you have done something in a committee meeting which was petty denied someone something right or work in you know harming someone maybe because they had offended you at one point or the other now in the process of doing that if you could justify it to yourself then you are part of that oppressive system right um but if you have a pang of conscience which tells you you know i'm doing this but i think it's deeply personal it's because this person was rude to me and i'm taking it out then maybe there is some hope for you you know and we all do that we all go back and question our assumptions and those of us who don't you know then we are in that other level uh, of the oppressors those of us who think it is our job to judge people and assign them their value um you know the, those people are kind of beyond our reach but mostly this system of oppression stays in its existence works and keeps perpetuating itself is because a lot of well meaning people become a part of it willingly or unwillingly 
and do not speak even when they have the power to speak on behalf of the weak and the poor so critical pedagogy then what is it is it a politics i mean freire would say it's a praxis right a praxis aimed at accomplish, accomplishing many things but of all those things the most important being creating possibilities for humans to live fully realized human lives to live in freedom like to live without fear and to transform the world in a way that we can all live with love right and in the process of doing so to liberate our oppressors as well right do not become oppressors against them but but to rid them of their their violent behaviors epistemic and physical violence to to finally give them the freedom as well and so that would be true revolution and that is when critical pedagogy would have done its job so these are some of my thoughts on it um i will look for a few questions if there are any um i don't see any questions but you know this is going to be on my website i've already shown you the link uh this uh video after a few minutes will also be added to our archive and you know you can always reach me at postcolonial.net and post any questions or any suggestions that you might have for future webinars and i'm really grateful that you all joined me the books to read the books that i used of course is the pedagogy of the oppressed and i had also used mark parker so this is the book that i'm talking about radical pedagogy please find them read them and there are so many others and if you have any questions please send them my way and with that thank you so much until the next time when we meet khuda hafiz assalam thank you bye